This morning, we're very blessed to have Pastors Alan and Rebecca um, back in the States for, I think, at least a month. Um, and so I want to invite Pastor Alan to come up. They, the most recent journey was Thailand. And um, yeah, I think we need to plan an evening to hear all of the stories from this year. But I want to bless you this morning, Alan. Lord, I thank you for Alan, and I thank you for um, just the rich wisdom that you have deposited within him through his years of serving you and his years of studying your word. And we just ask for your spirit to anoint him this morning, soften our hearts to hear the words that you want to speak through him. In your name we pray, amen. Yes, I believe it'll be like six weeks. So we've had really been blessed with how the Lord has gone before us, the things that have happened as we've gone. This last, uh, I guess, two weeks ago, we've been back. We've been back a week. I am. We're still so jet lagged. We came back from Uganda, jet lagged. Here, six days, jet lag got worse. Hit Thailand. Uh, do, do you know if you keep going around the world, it just adds more hours to your jet lag? Well, that's what didn't, did it to us. And so and then we came back and all over again, jet lag. So if in the middle of the sermon, I just lay down and take a nap. <laughs> You'll know what's going on. Uh, we were in Thailand and uh, it was so much, uh, such a joy to uh, meet up with some of the people that we uh, I've known for some years, and uh, the leadership that's there. We sat down with a couple of the main leaders in, in, in the congregation, and uh, part of what we were doing is assessing where things, some of the things are and what's needed and what our role can and should be moving forward. And one of the questions that we asked is, how is Esmirna, who is a missionary there, she is full-time missionary from Mexico through a sister uh, network that uh, Kirk Hanger, who would be part of our my discipleship tree, if you will, uh, that that network sent her to uh, Thailand, and we asked, so how is she doing? What would you, what 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 feedback would you have about her? And they said, she's a good example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be like Jesus. Now, she's been there a year and two months. Uh, in the last six months, she began studying. She was in YWAM first and then has about six months of language study. And so uh, her language acquisition has been phenomenal for uh, that period of time. She actually was doing some uh, translating for us, which uh, was fun between uh, what she knew and what we didn't know and uh, our phones. Uh, you know, we, we, we could get some communication going. But one of the things that she was feeling was here she's been there a year and two months and she really hasn't had a chance to teach. Uh, her her uh, passion is uh, discipleship. And you know, she's just kind of chomping at the bit for looking for that day when she has enough uh, uh, language ability that she can teach, she can share. 
And to hear this was a reminder about how important how we live, who we are, how people see Jesus in us, how important that is in comparison to the words that we speak. Uh, she was surprised. It caught her by surprise because that's not what she was envisioning, and yet she's had a great impact because of her life. Now, on the other hand, Mark Twain says, few things are harder to put up with than um, the annoyance of a good example. So you have both, both sides of that. Just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, enjoyed Mark Twain a lot. Uh, but how other people behave can impact us a lot. Not always in a positive way. Remember what Mark Twain said. Sometimes people's good example and, and, and their positive behavior can be such an annoyance that we just can't deal with it because of whatever's going on in our lives. And of course, there's a times when the uh, bad behavior uh, really gets to us, especially when it comes with a, a critical spirit, when it comes in a way that uh, hooks us. And we all get hooked. And it hooks us. And we begin to behave based on what we're hearing other people saying rather than what God has uh, set within us. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, and I believe this is the series right now, Philippians. <clears throat> and um, so you probably have heard this uh, because we're already in chapter 2. Uh, but Paul was a prisoner in a Roman um, prison. He was waiting to be tried for a capital offense, and it wasn't looking good. It was pretty, it was a, pretty much a, a slam dunk verdict that was coming. And in essence, all he was waiting for was a trial date when it would be confirmed that he would be executed. Okay, that's Paul's circumstance. Uh, the church in Philippi was going through some internal upheaval. You haven't gotten to this yet in chapters 3 and 4, but there was internal upheaval that was going on. And we need to understand this as we get in here into chapter 2. In chapter 3, we see that there were false teachers that were coming into the church, people that, that uh, would come and they'd teach stuff that wasn't aligned with, with, with what God was saying. They were teaching things that, they, they would twist things, uh, prophets that were off and would declare, this is what the Lord says, and they had no accountability. Teachers that would uh, pick and choose, and rather than do like, uh, it's my preference, you go through a book of the Bible. You don't miss stuff. You don't uh, stick only to your pet uh, uh, themes. Because when you do that, it's pretty easy to, to make a wrong turn. You just same thing, same theme, same theme, same theme, and pretty soon you're preaching the same thing from every part of the Bible, and you end up with a theology that has nothing to do with what the Scripture says. That's what was going on in Philippi. We also see in chapter 4, we begin reading uh, the chapter 4, that there was a uh, disagreement between some of the members, some of the leaders even. In the church, they, they were in disagreement about things. And, 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 and Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's waiting for the death sentence to be confirmed for him. And he's speaking to the Philippians because some people can't get along. 
You get the picture? You get the picture? He's speaking to the church because they are allowing stuff that's questionable to infiltrate their teaching system, infiltrate their prophetic, uh, the, uh, how they hear God prophetically, revelation knowledge. And while writing to the Philippians, he takes time out. I was thinking about, I'm going to die. I'm going to be executed. It's not going to be pretty. This is not something I'm looking forward to. I'm willing to do it because I'm obedient to the Lord, and I'm going to do everything I can to be obedient to the Lord. And he takes time out to address a couple of people who were disagreeing in the church because it was affecting the body of Jesus. And for him, that was something that even in his circumstances had to be sorted through. After all, this is how other people are going to know if we are his disciples, if we have love for one another, if we have disagreements, if, we have, if, if we're uh, vying for position, if we're doing things that are not loving one another, unity in the body, people will spot that whether or not they're believers, whether or not they're part of the church, because they will hear things. They will hear how we talk. They will see our attitudes in action. And Paul said, above everything else, the unity in the body has so much importance that I'm just going to set aside the fact that I'm going to be executed because we've got to address this. Now, get to Philippians chapter 2, first three verses. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? By the way, uh, there are handouts. Uh, they're just not available this morning if you really want them. Actually, if you want them with the, the answers filled in, uh, they'll be up here on the screen, and I can send you, if you ask for them, I can actually send them to you with the answers in, in, already written in, so uh, just in case anybody needs those. But we read Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, belonging to Christ. Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Are you getting along? Then make me truly happy. Then make me, Paul, waiting for the death sentence to be officially confirmed. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one heart, with one purpose. Then he says, don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You see, our attitude is rooted in who we are rather than other people's behavior. Sometimes we excuse the way we behave. Sometimes we excuse the things we say. Sometimes we excuse the attitudes that we have because we point to the behavior that others have have and don't realize that our attitudes are rooted in who we are, not what others are saying or doing, not the circumstance. It's a big difference. Uh, go back to Acts 16, uh, uh, the story of the, the founding of the church in Philippi. Paul and uh, Silas, this is the second missionary trip. The first one, it was Barnabas with, uh, with Saul, and as Saul became Paul, as he stepped forward as an apostle, he pulled in Silas, uh, a prophet, so that they would have a true apostle-prophet team that could 
Uh, we see the second missionary trip was so much more effective. We see the second missionary trip where they made decisions so much more quickly, where there was much more unity. Anyway, so he pulls Silas in, and they, 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 the team, um, Paul and Silas and the rest of them come into town, uh, and they had a plan. You know, when, when uh, we commission, next week we'll be commissioning uh, a couple of young ladies for uh, YWAM. We commission people. We commission them with a purpose. They get up and they say, I, I'm going to go to YWAM. I'm going to go. The uh, Lord's calling me on a short-term trip to, to Thailand. The Lord is calling me to give my life. And you pick the place. And there's a plan. And not only is there a plan, but they have done fundraising for it because when you go to places where there are no churches, when you go to places that uh, uh, where, where you know, the, the first time Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, he told them, don't take anything with you. But after that, he said, okay, pack light. You know, pack light. Take something with you. you, you you're going to have to survive during this period of time that you go. And so by the time we get to that second, first and second and third missionary uh, trips, uh, they were packing, packing light. Uh, with Barnabas, they stopped in Cyprus, where Barnabas saw all kinds of land. And I imagine that, that, that Barnabas, being who he was, the way he engaged with the church, uh, the early church in Jerusalem, he sold land in Cyprus to fund the trip. It was a self-funded trip. It, it, was, it was perfectly fine. But the second time, you got Paul, and you have Silas, and you have Timothy, and you have Titus, and you have Luke, who's a doctor, who's not, you know, his, his income stream is going to come from the team because he's not, he left his practice. And so they had to raise money, too. And so when you raise money, for those who have had to do this, you know how it works. You have to have a plan. You have to explain to people what it is that God's calling you to do. You have to talk about where you're going. You have to talk about what you believe God is going to do when you're there. You have to cast a vision. And so Paul and Silas and his team show up. They come into town, and they fall asleep. They've done their fundraising. They have their money. They've got their plan. They're ready to go to Asia. And God breaks through the most a critically important moment in the history of this world, the Macedonian call. Paul goes to sleep. Everything's just fine. He knows what, uh, what, what, their, what their accounts are like. He knows uh, income streams. He knows uh, what uh, transportation he's going to have to take to go into Asia. And God breaks through with a prophetic dream. A man from Macedonia, that's Greece, saying, come on over to Macedonia and help us. And so he wakes up in the morning, and they turn on a dime. And suddenly this team, instead of going to Asia, goes to Europe. Can you imagine the difference that would have, that would have meant for the history of the world if Paul and Silas and his team would have gone to Asia instead of Europe? I mean, there, there is nothing else that's happened in the history of the world that changed the direction of, of, of history like that, that moment right there. God intervened. And so all the things that they told the people who were praying for them, all the things that they told the people that were supporting them, all the things that they, the vision they had cast, everything changed, everything changed, everything changed. They got up and they headed for Europe, toward Macedonia. First stop, Philippi. They come into Philippi and they begin uh, the, the, the first church after this Macedonian dream that changed the history, the course of history of the world. And so... They come into Philippi, and Paul is like, all right, um, 
because there are not enough Jewish people here, they don't have a synagogue, but what the pattern was, if they're Jewish people on the Sabbath, they would go and they'd meet by the river to pray. So he went down to the river to pray, and he found some women who were there praying. No men, just women. And he preached the gospel of Jesus, and Lydia, a prominent businesswoman, a leader in Philippi, someone that everybody looked up to because of her, her, her uh, of who she was and, and what she represented, she and some of her friends came to know the Lord. She invited them to her house. Her house became the first church. She became the first pastor of the first church after the Macedonian call. So this church gets kicked off. At any rate, Paul had an incident in town that stirred things up. There was this uh, young girl, a uh, slave girl, trafficked most likely because uh, she was, there were people that owned her. They were uh, reaping income streams from her, her, her uh, uh, spiritist uh, fortune telling. And, uh, and she began to annoy Paul, and Paul finally just cast out this demon, and, and, and the traffickers were furious. I mean, they, here, here they were losing. Uh, biggest thing in, 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 in human trafficking is when people begin to lose the income stream that they get from the trafficking. That changes things. They, they're not happy about that. And these are normally not nice people, just say. And so these traffickers get really upset, and they begin to spread uh, rumors and lies, and, and uh, uh, they riled up the city against Paul and Silas, and, and uh, they end up in prison, severely beaten in an inner dungeon. And uh, uh, just a side note, it's interesting that, that Silas gets thrown in there because Paul was a leader. Paul was the one who spoke. Paul was the one who cast out that demon. And here's what happens. If you, the, the great prophets all get beaten with the apostle that they're connected to. When the apostle gets beaten up, the prophets do too. Now, we've seen that with our prayer shield. We go places, we get beaten. Like, you know, they're, they're physically, sometimes we have, have some, some experience, some things, and then we check with our prayer shield. And you know what? Some of them are having the same thing, sometimes worse. So prophets are going to get it as hard or harder as the leader that they are aligned with. And Silas got it. Anyway, just, just a side note on that because it's always you know, Paul, uh, Peter, and John before the temple gate. Um, they, Peter speaks. John is quiet. They both get, get hit with the same thing. That's just, just a pattern. You can expect that. It's all through the book of Acts. But we know the story like uh, everybody in Philippi knew the story. This wasn't something that happened off to the side. It wasn't something that happened in secret. It wasn't something that was just some kind of spiritual uh, incident that, that occurred. This was a major incident in the city of Philippi, and everybody in Philippi had an opinion about what had happened. But in spite of the injustice, in spite of the way that the entire city believed that Paul and Silas had done wrong, that they deserved what they were getting, everybody lined up against them. We don't know what the church in Philippi was feeling or thinking. Uh, I would imagine Lydia had a good, was a good leader, and so she had, was, was, was shepherding the church through this. 
But in spite of what everyone believed, in spite of the injustice, the picture they had of Paul and the picture they had of Silas was that they were praying and singing in prison. Now, they were in the inner dungeon. But we know that people understood this. The other prisoners heard them. Their singing and their praying was loud enough that it could be heard from the inner dungeon into the other parts of the prison. And, of course, they were related to all kinds of people in Philippi, and the word got out after the earthquake about what had been happening. Everybody knew it. But that's a picture that the church in Philippi had of Paul. You can say, well, he's in prison in Rome. That didn't matter. That didn't mean much. But what they remembered from that moment, from that incident in Philippi with the slave girl, when Paul was beaten along with Silas, where they were thrown into the prison, when the earthquake hit, when they came out from that earthquake, when they received this letter, that was a picture that they had. Paul's character, Paul's attitude, formed by his relationship with Jesus, not in reaction to what everybody had done to him. So Paul gives his counsel on how to respond based on who you are in Jesus rather than being reactive to others around you. Let's go back and read those first three verses again. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Okay, you got stuff going in your life. There are things that you're feeling. It's all kinds of feelings. We all get those. What's the encouragement that you get from Jesus? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? And then the second verse is like he would say, if that is true, if, if, if there's encouragement because you belong to Christ, if there's comfort because of the love of Jesus in your life, if you have fellowship together in the spirit, if your hearts are tender and sympathetic, then make me truly happy. This is what I would really would like to see. By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. And then verse 3, we discover, don't try to measure up to those who would tear you down. He says, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. When we try to measure ourselves with those who are critical of us, when we try to measure ourselves with those who have things to say about us that are that because of who they are, how they say it hooks us. Remember, I mean, we all get hooked. Let's, let's be honest about that. In those moments that we're getting hooked, Paul says, that is selfishness. That's selfishness. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And so the question that Paul is really raising here is, 
How do you measure yourself? What is the plumb line? What is it that you have as an example? What is it that is shaping how you measure who you are, what you're doing, how you're behaving, etc.? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus or is it those who, for whatever reason, can hook you and cause you to go a little bit off? It's easy to fall into the trap of measuring ourselves by the criticism that we get. Our insecurities kick in and pretty soon the, the hook is in and is set and we're just at wherever. You know, whatever, we're just at the mercy of others. There are three traps, as we read through this, especially verse 3, that cause us to measure ourselves based on how others behave. First is selfish ambition. Unable to forgive and move on. That's the bottom line of the selfish ambition. You can't forgive and move on and just say, I'm going to be like Jesus. I don't care what anybody says or does. It paralyzes us. Because we're always trying to guess what someone else is thinking, what someone else may be saying, what someone else, you know, trying to, trying to figure out what it is that, that, that they mean by what they said or did or didn't do or didn't say, the way they looked at us or didn't look at us. And pretty soon, we're just paralyzed. The second one is personal prestige, living uh, to make a good impression on others, not living to please Jesus, not living to be a good example of who Jesus is, not living to give an example of what it means to follow Jesus, but living to please others and please them in the ways that sort of take care of the criticism that we've been hearing, that takes care of those things that uh, where, where they, they poke at us for whatever reasons they're poking at us. And there are always people that are going to do that. Personal prestige. We become a caricature of who we think we should be. See the difference? Instead of becoming like Jesus, we become a caricature of what other people think we ought to become. And that's our choice. That's our choice. It's always our choice. Who do we want to become? Do we want that caricature? Is, is that what we're aiming for? And if it's... if if, that's been, if we've been hooked there, it's time to repent and it's time to turn because otherwise uh, we're just going to uh, become more and more of a caricature of what others want and it opens us up to more and more people uh, speaking into what we should be and, and pretty soon it just becomes a terrible, 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 uh, confusing uh, thing that, that we're trying to become. Not ourselves, not the real deal. The third one is, that we read here in, in verse 3, is that concentrating on ourselves, concentration on self, seeing ourselves as better than others. That's the other side of, of, of that same coin, but it's still just as bad. When somebody does better than we do, we have to find ways to make ourselves look more like them or tear them down, and we become part of the process of building caricatures of something other than Jesus in the lives of those around us. That, that's not so good either. So we need to remember. We need to remember the examples we have in Scripture. And you can go through the Old Testament to the New Testament. And there are examples all the way through where people had to make these choices. You remember the three men in the fire. When they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. 
Remember Jesus. He stood before Pilate and he said nothing. Did not defend himself. He was silent before his accusers. And we go through these stories and, and, and what wells up inside of us ourselves is injustice. We don't like injustice, especially when it's directed at us. But the other side is we really internally are feeling insecure about our character, our being, being like Jesus, and that being the only thing we're going after. And what will people think? What will be the long-term opinion that people have about me? I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories of people who won't talk to me to this day because different reasons. And the choice is always the same. Will they build me into a caricature of what they believe I should be? Or will I become more like Jesus? Do I need to defend myself because there's an injustice there? Or will I forgive and continue? Always our choice. And we get to verse 4. Don't think only about your own affairs. But be interested in others too and what they are doing. You're not the only person that's following Jesus. You're not the only example. You're not the only one with spiritual gifts. You're not the only one who can speak what God told you through prophecy or teaching or preaching or whatever it might be. You're not the only one. Ouch. But we act like that sometimes. We act like that. We get a prophetic word, and we think that somehow that prophetic word is more important than everything else that's going on around us. And don't realize that, yeah, it might be good, but what would Jesus have done with that prophetic word? You know, Jesus understood everything. He understood what people were thinking. He understood what people were saying without hearing them. He, he, he knew everything. He didn't repeat it all. Jesus sat on so many prophetic words. And one of the toughest things to learn for those who are in the, who have, are in the prophetic flow is when did you sit on it? We go places and, and uh, everywhere we go, for some reason, they, 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 they'll, they'll say, uh, they call me prophet. Okay. And when the prophet shows up, everybody wants a prophetic word. And There are times you just have to sit on it. There are times that you just have to remain quiet, silent. Just this week, I told somebody, you know, the Lord showed me pretty clearly where things are moving in this person's life. And I said, you've got to hear the Lord for yourself. Now, I could have said that. I could have told them what I saw. And I've got this track record. I could probably be fairly confident that I'm right. However, that's not what that person needed. That person needed to learn, needs to learn how to hear the voice of God for themselves and be able to take confident steps. And my short-circuiting that is not going to help them at all. Okay? 
Uh, just got off on that one. Sorry about that. But we need to find areas in the lives of others that we can bless. What does that mean? Hang out with others. Ask questions. Be intentional in blessing them. Go out of our way to be a blessing to others, especially those who are not like us in their values and beliefs and actions. Friends of ours uh, are, have been missionaries for a lifetime, basically. And they took about three years out of their missionary career to go home and take care of their son who had been in a horrific accident. Almost all the bones in his body were broken. I mean, it was just horrific. And they went back, and they spent every day for three years taking care of him, even while he was living with his boyfriend. By this, by this, everybody is going to know that I'm a disciple of Jesus because his love flows through me. We need to look around and ask the question, how can we bless? What can we bless? Sometimes this whole life, you can see up here on this, uh, the, 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 this PowerPoint, the big orange circle might be the, uh, what our values and everything else, and the only thing that we have in common is that little blue circle on the corner. But usually there's at least a little spot like that that we have in common. Usually there's a little spot that we can bless. Usually there's a little spot that we can encourage. Usually there's something that we can speak that will lift up and not condemn. See, the words of Jesus are, neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. We don't know what the woman did. Did she, did she go back to a man who was not her husband? Likely because she didn't have many options. Just a thought. And we can say these things. We can be biblically correct, but we can also bless. And there's always something that we can bless, that we can point out. Here's a question. How much would you sacrifice? Or how much offense would you take if it had to do with your son or daughter that you're trying to win back? That's a good rule of thumb for anybody. Not just your son or daughter, but everybody that we interact with. That's a Jesus way of doing in verses 5 and 8. We read in verse 5, starting in 5, going to 8. Your attitude, your attitude, remember we're talking about the attitude? Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Even though he was God. He did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Our society 
seems to hold our rights up as one of the major important elements of what we get to do because we're Americans. Our rights, our rights, our rights, our rights, our rights. And it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal. It comes out the same. It's my right. And you can't take my rights away from me. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He laid them down. He laid them down because he had an assignment. And sometimes the rights that we think that we have that are so important don't mean a whole lot in the kingdom of God. Let's be honest. They have more to do with our fears. They have more to do with, with, with our experience. We, it has more to do with how we were raised. It has more to do with what others around us think and believe than it has to do with becoming like Jesus. Verses 5 to 8 from Philippians 2 is really the anthem for the Christian church. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death. The way to stay rooted in who Jesus is and not in how others behave, we find in this anthem of the church. Jesus gave up his rights. It's about Jesus, not about me. Sometimes we, there, there's some countries that we go to where we come back, we're wiped out because I, I've been preaching. I've preached two, three times a day. But I do that not because it's so wonderful to preach two or three times a day. We come back exhausted. I do that because that's what they're asking for. And it opens a door to make an impact in the lives of people when we have time one-on-one. -on -one. To shape things, to speak truth. And there are other times where we someplace for 10 days not preach once and... That's okay, too, because the whole point of our going places is to impact people's lives, to become more like Jesus, to become more effective in ministry. And if that means preaching three times a day or only once in two weeks, I'm perfectly fine either way. There's nothing other than exhaustion that uh, factors in here. But the way to stay rooted in who Jesus is and not in how others behave is Give up your rights. Give up your rights. So they call me prophet when I go places, but don't ask me to come up and prophesy. Praise God. God's still going to speak. Doesn't matter. So they call me apostle. <laughs> you know, that's kind of an odd one, especially when I'm wearing a bishop's collar. Just take a, you know, sometimes you need to take a picture of yourself and go, 
this is really odd, isn't it? Instead of saying, ooh, look who I am. I think as, as long as we can, 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 can uh, identify the oddities, the silliness, the stuff that we end up doing not because of us but because of God. We sat with uh, a team that's going to uh, a difficult place in a very difficult place in uh, the 1040 window last week, two weeks ago, uh, in, in the Academy of the Gateway Project. One of the things that I really pushed out was, it's not about what you're going to do. It's about what God's going to do. And it's all about being the best prop you can be. Think of Gideon. Think of these other great stories of where God broke through and the silliness of Moses holding a stick out over the Red Sea, the silliness of the people of Israel marching around Jericho seven days in a row and the seventh day seven times, and then they make a big noise like something's going to happen. Well, it did because God told them. And then we go around and we do the same thing. We march around things seven times and seven times in one day, and then make a big noise and nothing happens. We go, Huh. what's wrong with me? No, it's not what's wrong with you. It's that God didn't tell you to do that. If God told you to do that and something's going to happen because you do it, go and be the best prop you can possibly be. If not, don't make a scene. All right? I mean, some places you go make a scene, it's, it, you're just going to stir up trouble for yourself and others. And so you'd better know when God's asking you to be a prop best servants of the Lord, whether here in this country or in other countries around the globe, are people who have learned how to be a good prop, to know where to go, where to stand, what to say, how, stuff that looks silly, the kind of stuff that God tells us to do, and we do it, and we know that if God doesn't back up what he said, we're going to look so foolish. That's a prop. And we need more and more props that are paying attention and doing what God is asking us to do as a prop. Not because we have so much spiritual power. Not because we're so wonderful at what we're doing. It's not because we have such so, so strong spiritual gifts. It's not because of any of that. It's simply because we're being an obedient prop and willing to be silly so God gets all And the third one is Jesus sacrificed himself for the benefit of those who mistreated him. Unfortunately, we're like that church that had that sign. It said, Jesus only. And a big wind came up, and I remember seeing this. Oh, this is years and years ago, but I remember seeing the sign where the letters J-E-S fell off of the sign, and it had us only. And too often that is our way, the way that we operate, us only. You see, when we think we know it, when we think it's us, when we think it's because of the spiritual gifts that I have, because of the prophetic anointing or because of the teaching anointing or because of the evangelistic anointing or because of whatever anointing it might be, when we begin thinking it's because of that, what we're doing is setting ourselves up as Lord in place of Jesus. And that's a miserable place to be. And then verses 9 to 11, because of this, God raised him up 
to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to aim to be praised by God rather than by the world. You know, the world seems to hate us, so why? Why do we adjust who we are and what we do to the world's standards when we have the example of Jesus? Why do we measure ourselves against the criticism that comes from the world? We pay attention to all this stuff, and it gets in our heads, and then it gets in our, our spirits, and it begins to misshape us. And some of you probably need to turn off the television a bit more than you have been. Less news, more word. Some of you may need to stop talking to some people, less hearing what some people are saying, and more hearing what God is saying. Just, just a thought. And we were equipping these teams that are going into the 1040 window a couple weeks ago. We spent a week sharing things that we've learned. And we talked about, yes, Bible says this, and here's some principles. But we actually spent more time talking about where we messed up, where we failed, the things that we learned the hard way. And that had more of an impact than everything else that we talked about. You see, it's not about how good we are or have become. It's about having been faithful in learning along the way and changing along the way and growing along the way so that we become more like Jesus every day. This is not a Snap your fingers and you got it. It's a lifetime of learning, of growing, of being shaped. And that means lots of failure, and that means lots of stuff that we did wrong, all kinds of things that Jesus needs to forgive. So what does it take to imitate the attitude of Jesus in spite? of what others believe or in spite of how others behave. Let me give you a few to chew on here this morning. First, be humble. Proverbs 29, 23 tells us, uh, gives us a good uh, clue about that one. But be humble. Humility is not thinking, uh, is not thinking less of yourself. It's setting aside personal ambition and personal pride in our relationships. Sometimes people confuse that, and they think the humility is thinking less of yourself. It isn't. It's allowing God to shape us. Some of you know, uh, I may have actually heard this story. Uh, a church, uh, mega church in Mexico City had a revival in 99 into 2000. The pastor there now is uh, Robert Stevenson, and some of you would know him. 
the pastor before him, Pastor Aurelio, when the revival was, was really, really rolling, would get people coming in. Lots and lots, I mean, lots of people that were really living in poverty they, because the church was on a, in, in, a, in a garbage dump. And they, they, they built it out from the garbage dump. But as the revival grew, it drew people, professionals, who would come in and they would have their chauffeurs and they would have whatever else comes with being wealthy in, in Mexico. And then they would go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I've decided to be part of your church and I like to serve. And so he said, well, the first team that everybody serves on is the bathroom team. Now, it's not like our bathrooms here. The bathrooms there were latrines. They, 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 they're cement, and, uh, but no running water. And so when you would go into the men's room, I imagine the women's room area was the same, they would give you several squares of toilet paper and a little bucket of water. Then you'd go, and after you were done, you use the bucket of water to flush, and then the team would come in after you and clean up. Okay. That weeded out a lot of people. You could just, just imagine how many people said, ah, I don't think I'll stoop to do that. And yet those who did, among those who did, they have leaders. They have persons who started churches. They have pastors. They have persons who are serving as apostles in their system of 70, 80 churches in several nations. See, there's something about humbling ourselves. Setting aside personal ambition, not saying, I could come and be an administrator. I could come because I have teaching gifts. I could... Setting aside personal ambition and our personal pride and our relationships. In the last year, I found myself in so many places where I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, hmm, it's not a bad plan, but I think I could do this better. And where I get the chance, where the relationship exists, I will ask questions and I will, I will help shape the plan, but I'm not going to step over the plan because that's not my role. And you can say, well, that's, I, I understand that. That's, 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 that's honorable because these are national networks that are affiliated and, and they've invested a lifetime. But you know what? Even in the smallest churches, you have the same dynamic. And it just rips the body of Jesus to shreds. The second one is value others, consideration. This is about my character more than theirs. If they respond well, praise God. If they don't, oh well. But it's my character. It's my attitude. Paul says, don't put people down, lift them up. Just a paraphrase there. By treating them better than you would treat yourself. 
If you have to make a choice between someone else and, your, and yourself, choose the other person. Lay it down. The third one is view others through the eyes of Jesus. Here's the thing. He saw. He saw something in you. He saw something in me that made it worth dying for. We need to be the same. Number four, find something to be thankful about others. Everybody has some redeeming quality. Granted, some people, you got to look a little bit harder. Okay? But if you're having trouble finding that redeeming quality about somebody, just pray and press in because it's there. You just have to find it. Number five, pray for others. Pray for others. You see, people look different when you're standing together at the foot of the cross. They look different when you're standing together at the feet of Jesus. And a few things that I would encourage you to think about, four things that Paul prayed for others. We could do a study on this one, but uh, how to pray for those who, um, who do not behave well. Paul dealt a lot with that. He dealt a lot with that in the letters he wrote to the churches in, 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 uh, that we have in the New Testament. But pray for those who do not behave well. It will change their attitude toward, uh, toward you or toward whoever they're having conflict with, and it will change yourself as well as you pray for them. But here are four things that Paul seems to keep coming back to in these circumstances. Pray that they will grow in love and wisdom. Pray that they may have spiritual discernment. Pray that they may grow in holiness, and pray that they will be spiritually productive. You can bless anybody with that. It doesn't matter how far they are from Jesus. It doesn't matter how badly they're behaving. You can pray all of those things for everyone. Number six, be patient with the people in your life. God is working on them. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean God's not at work. He is. We act like unless we see it, God's not doing anything. And if God's going to be dependent on what we're able to perceive, nothing's ever going to happen because our perceptions are so far off. God is working on the people around us, the people that we love, the people that we want to see become different or better. God is working on them, and it could take as long. Okay, just, just jot this one down. This is important. It could take as long to work on them as it took for God to work on us. Got that? Yeah. This, this is true. It could and you know how long it's taken God. Just remember that. Number seven, love the people in your life. As we read in 1 Peter 4, 8, it covers a multitude of sins. And the first stuff, first sins it begins to cover are our transgressions. We should read that and think about the sins in the other person's life. But the first sins it begins to cover are our transgressions, love the people in your life. This morning, I want to take a few minutes to reflect and pray. I'd like to invite everyone to stand up because I don't want this to be a, a looking around to see who's standing and who's not. And if you're standing and you say, that's not me, you can sit on the inside, but please stay standing up. Uh, I'll give you permission to uh, you can sit on the inside if, if you need to. 
all of us get hooked. All of us get hooked. And when we get hooked, we need to recognize it and repent and change. So let's begin by recognizing that we have been hooked. If you've been hooked, just, just, just pray along with me. If you've never, if you haven't, don't, that's not you. Praise God. I'm so glad there's someone, there are people here who are, are as perfect as Jesus. That, that, that's not something that, that you want to say as a pastor. Just trying to coach you here a little bit. <laughs> Lord, we recognize how easy we are to be hooked. Hmm. Oh, God, we're so tired of the injustice. Lack of recognition. Criticism. People who seem to have it more together and, and they fall apart in front of our faces. And we confess, Lord, that we have been hooked. We've been hooked in such a way that our plumb line the example that we're trying to measure up to is not you, Jesus, but is something that is not of you, but of those who would try to change and reshape us in ways that are not godly. We recognize, Lord, that we become caricatures of what others would like us to be. Lord, we're sorry. Forgive us. Because, Lord, our heart's desire is to be like you. Our heart's desire is to be like you. We recognize that there's so much that we'll never know about what that means. And your character, Lord Jesus, is just so completely foreign to us as human beings. But that's our heart's desire. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to measure ourselves more like who you are and less how other people think we should be. Just, just a word here. It's not going to happen just because we prayed together. But we can start taking steps to become, have, have, be shaped more like Jesus and less like those who would like us to be however they see us or wish we were. It's a process. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to enter into that process. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would show us, that you would make some things clear where we can take distinct steps in that direction. And help us, Lord, to get unhooked, to get unhooked, to get unhooked so that we're no longer played like we have been.
I thank you, Lord, that you did give us that example. That example that we can look to, that example that we can read about, that example that is what our Father God would want us to be. And so I pray, Lord, that you would teach us. Knock some of those rough edges off. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our spirits. Speak to our minds. Speak to us in the middle of those behaviors that are, are abhorrent to you. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to this process to become more like you to align ourselves with your word not the traditions that have been handed down but your word that we would align ourselves with you and the assignment that you have given us, not what others think we should be doing. That we would align our characters with you, yours, Lord Jesus. To be able to bless what you bless. To lift up what you lift up. To encourage what you encourage. If you're not ready for this part, you might want to check out to suffer what you suffered. To be partakers in your suffering, Lord Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, I bless this congregation. I bless them as they continue to find their way forward, as they continue to be a light here on this hill, as they continue to be an example of what it means to love one another, what it means to submit to one another, what it means to work in harmony and unity. And I bless them every step that they take in this direction. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. And this morning, just ask, just stay here in the presence of God. I sense that God's presence is very real, very real. And as we're worshiping together, if you're sick, Go to the prayer team during worship. If you have financial need, go to the prayer team during worship. If you have family problems, go to the prayer team Okay, during worship. But if you want to come up and say, Lord, I want to be more like you. I haven't been like you the way that I really want to be. And, and, and Today, 
I'm making a commitment. And we'll just pray for those that the Lord shows us to pray for. We're not going to necessarily have like a prayer line and pray for everybody. We just flow prophetically here. But if you want to come up and make that declaration as we worship, I invite you to come on up. And we'll stand with you in the name of Jesus.